The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. say time and again before each divine service these words about preparing your hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. It is fitting, it is fitting to take time to examine yourself according to the Ten Commandments so that you can recognize your sin and see what great things God has done for you in Christ Jesus. It is fitting to examine your hearts because it is fitting to prepare. It is fitting to prepare to come into Jesus presence. Preparation is something that is on everyone's minds, even in a sort of toned-down Christmas season. There are preparations that must be done. We must prepare for meals and guests and gifts. There's all kinds of preparation that must be done. What is the kind of preparation that must be done to come into Jesus' presence? Well, notice what it is when I talk about the Lord's Supper. The preparation that is required to come to the Lord's Supper, examining yourself according to the Ten Commandments, that is not about making sure that you are ship-shape, that your behavior 
is excellent, that you have good manners, that you're dressed well, and your appearance is holy. Preparing yourself to take the Lord's Supper is not about anything on the outside. It is about what's on the inside. And notice this. It is not about making good what's on the inside. To be prepared to receive the Lord's Supper, you do not need to have a clean heart. You do not need to have a clean heart to receive the Lord's Supper. In fact, you must have a dirty heart. In order to receive the Lord's Supper worthily, you must know that the Lord's Supper is the cure for what is wrong inside your heart. It does not matter what you look like on the outside. It does not matter how you have behaved or what you have been like. What matters is whether or not you know and believe that this Christ's body and blood is your only hope. It is not about remembering your manners. It's not about coming to dinner and remembering to which fork you're supposed to use to eat dessert or not to put your elbows on the table. It's not that kind of preparation. It's not the kind of preparation you need to have when you go over to someone's house for dinner. It is a very different kind of preparation. And it is rooted in what Jesus says, some most important words that Jesus says about whom he has come to save. It is not the well who need a physician, Jesus says. It is not the well. It is not those who think that their bodies are sound, that their souls are healthy. It is the sick. It is the sick who need a physician. It is the dying who need a doctor. I have not come to save the righteous, Jesus says, but sinners. And that means that in order to be prepared for Jesus, you must first be a sinner. That may sound a bit trite to say, because of course, the reason you're all here is because you acknowledge that you are sinners. But this is something that the world will never allow. For us to be sinners, for us to acknowledge that we have no hope in ourselves, that the only thing awaiting us because of what's in our hearts is death and the grave. The world wants to hope in humanity. The world wants to think that humanity can rescue itself, that you can pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and by trying a bit harder, by brushing the dust off your shoulders and cleaning up your face and putting on a new suit, you can be a better person. It's not true. In order to be saved, you must first be miserable. In order to be raised from the dead, you must first be dead. And that is why the preparation required to receive the Lord's Supper is acknowledging who you are, that you're a dead person. This is very important, especially if we take the analogy of a physician to the next level. Someone who thinks that they know what's wrong with them cannot receive the proper care of the physician. So imagine, for instance, you show up to the doctor and the doctor says, that's an awful rash. <laughs> it's a terrible rash you have on your arm. Here's some cream. Put this cream on your arm twice a day. That'll, that'll solve that problem. But you say to yourself, you know, this rash on my arm is not really my problem. I got kind of an upset stomach. I'm going to take this cream. You know what I'm going to do with it? Mix it with my morning coffee. That'll solve the problem. You, <laughs> I don't have to describe what that's going to do to you. It's not going to be good, right? If you think that you are sick with something other than the cu- what the cure is intended to resolve, then the cure is actually going to hurt you. This is how it is with Jesus' body and blood. This is how it is with the presence of God. If we come into God's presence thinking that something other than sin and death is our problem, then his body and blood is not good for us. Then his body and blood, in fact, hurts us because 
we misuse it. We misapply it. We think it's there for something else, for making us comfortable, for making us feel good about ourselves, for resolving the minor aches and pains, the minor sorrows and tragedies of this life, for reminding us that everything's going to be okay. That's not what his body and blood is about. His body and blood is a medicine that goes to the heart of you, that goes to a heart that is dying and in need of resurrection. That is what this medicine is for, and that is why it is essential that we prepare, that we examine our hearts, that we look and see that there is nothing good in them. Start at the first commandment and go all the way down the list, and you cannot make it. You cannot make it. You shall have no other gods. Have you ever loved and trusted something more than God? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Have you ever put your faith in something other than God's word? Have you ever valued something other than God's word as your source of life, as the bread that you need to go through this life? There are no excuses. There is no way that we can come into God's presence and stand. And that is why we examine ourselves, lest we think we can stand. The great news of Christmas, the great news of the entire church year, is that God loves sinners. That he has not come to save people who are righteous, people who are well, people who have no need of help or resurrection, people who can just make it on their own with a little nudge and a little push. He has not come for those people. He has come for you. He has come for you who need him desperately. You who know the depths of your woe. You who do not want to die, but to live. I say all of that simply by way of introduction because as we see John in our gospel lesson this morning, he is preaching something about preparation. And in fact, the whole Christian life is one of preparation. Whether it is preparing to come to communion, whether it is preparing to confess our sins before God, whether it is preparing for any of the big changes in life, for Christmas, for Easter, or for the end of our lives, the Christian life is one of preparation. This is what John says about that preparation. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's talking about a road that is crooked, that goes every which way and over mountains and in valleys and across streams, a road which is not easy to traverse, a road which is very difficult. In fact, a road in which there are every manner of obstacle that prevent travel. He's talking about that kind of a road, and he says, make it straight. Make straight the way of the Lord. How does that happen? What is required in order to level mountains and fill in valleys? What is required in order to lift up the asphalt and lay it in a straight line? Earth movers, to be sure, and more than that. Who knows what it would take to move a mountain? Who knows what would be needed, how much dirt would be needed to fill a valley? It is not something that you or I are capable of. And yet he says, make straight the way of the Lord. Of course, he is not talking about a physical road. He is talking about a path to your heart. Make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight the path by which Jesus comes to deliver to you his forgiveness, life, and salvation. Make straight the path by which he comes to give you heaven and the kingdom of God. How is that path made straight? Well, it is by no effort of your own. It is not by walking up to those mountains with a shovel and starting to dig. It is not by picking up this piece of asphalt and moving it five steps to the right. It is not by any effort of your own. It is by God's working that that path is made straight. And here's how he does it. 
He does it by crushing you, by reminding you that you are going to die. And the reason you are going to die is because of your sin. It is for no other reason. It is not for natural reasons. It is not because that's just how the world works. It is because you and I are sinners that we are going to die. And that message, that message is what straightens the road because it brings us to our knees. It removes the obstacles of pride and self-righteousness, whereby we feel like we can work our way to God. That at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we're going to be able to stand and say, hey, I have something going for me. You should let me in because I've been okay. I've tried pretty hard. I'm not as bad as other people. None of that, none of that will work. Make straight the way of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Repent, Jesus says. Repent, John the Baptist says. Confess your sins. Acknowledge that you have no hope in yourself. Why? Not just so that you can feel bad about yourself. In fact, that's not the reason at all. It's not to bring you down. It's not to lead you to despair. In fact, it is to prevent you from despairing because the very next word that comes from the mouth of Jesus is, I have forgiven your sins. When you are a sick person in need of a physician, the words of that physician, the cure that he gives you, are life. They're life and hope. And that is what he has come to do. Prepare your hearts. The life of a Christian is a life of preparation, and that preparation looks like repentance. Again, it is not by shaping up. There's this popular notion of repentance which says something like, I have repented if I do better. If I manage to turn around all on my own, if I have been struggling with this or that sin, this or that problem, and I get myself out of it, that's repentance. Not at all. Not at all. Repentance is this, acknowledging that you cannot get out of it. That like an addict, you will turn to it again and again at every opportunity. That something greater is required than your own will. In fact, your will, your heart, is the problem. That is repentance. That is something that is worked by God himself. And the fact that you are all here, listening to God's word, approaching Christmas, waiting for the coming of Jesus, that is the sign that he is working repentance in you. The words of the gospel, the words of God's good news, those are the words that lead to repentance. Those are the words that work repentance in you. Hear them and believe. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. You have a Savior who is stronger, who is bigger, who is more powerful than any problem, any sin, and even death in this life. He can move mountains. He says, in fact, to his disciples, as they kind of scoff, look, if you pray in faith, you can move those mountains. Right? If you ask with faith, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be cast into the sea. He is the one with true faith, who trusts his Father and can move mountains can move the sin, can move the pride and the self-righteousness that are in the way so that he can come and save you, so that he can give you the medicine that you need to live. And that medicine is so simple. It is so precious and so beautiful. It is so freely distributed that no one is lacking. No one should want for this medicine because it is the very simple word of promise. I love you and I have forgiven your sins. It is the sight of Jesus on the cross it is the sight and taste of his body and blood given and shed for you. There is, no, there is no reason to doubt but believe that Jesus has come to save you. The life of a Christian is a life of preparation, and really it looks a lot like 
the life of John the Baptist. Did you hear what he said? They asked him, who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And I think that's a good way to think about the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian consists of confessing and not denying that you are not Jesus. You are not Jesus. You are not God. You are not perfect. You are not holy. But he is. And he has come to save you. The strap of one whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He comes after me, John says, and he is the one who baptizes us for salvation with his Holy Spirit, raising us from the dead. Confess that you are not the Christ, but that the Christ has come in order to save you. Confess that he has given himself for you, his entire life for you, nothing held back, in abundance, overflowing. Confess it, even though the world despises it. The world hears a message like that, and they cannot stand it. It is a scandal. It makes them stumble. Confess it anyway. Tell your friends and neighbors what great things God has done for you. How you have a place to go where you need not be perfect. In fact, it is your imperfection that you come to cure. It is your unrighteousness. It is your death that you come to be relieved of here in this place. In a world that is desperately, desperately trying to be well, to pretend that it is not sick with sin, that it is not dying. In that world, being a sick person, acknowledging that you are dying and in need of salvation, being that kind of a person makes you the object of scorn. Be that person anyway. Because that is how your heart is prepared to receive the gifts of Jesus. We are in a world of people pretending to be well, and so they are missing the medicine. But you, by living as though you are a sick person, a sin-sick person in need of salvation, you show the world that there is another way, that there is light. There is a light that shines from the manger that makes every other light dull and gray, makes it darkness, in fact. The light of Jesus shining from that manger is here to brighten every corner of this world, every corner of your heart. He has promised it, and he will surely do it. To him alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.